Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Hey, Connect. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris. Get to serve on the team here. And uh, so glad that you're with us today. Now, if you know me, you'll know uh, that I'm, I'm a competitive guy. I grew up playing sports. All, if it's a sport, I probably played it at some point in my life. Got to play uh, tennis in college. That was a blast. So I'm always up for like a little friendly competition. That being said, I'm curious. Did anyone ever play the hold your breath game growing up? I played this game more times than I could count. Whether it was in the bathtub, at the pool, inevitably, my siblings or I would pose the challenge, who can hold your breath the longest? And you know, you take a a big deep breath in and you hold it as long as you can in hopes of outlasting the other. Well, have you ever played this game as an adult? Probably not. I mean, why would you, really? Well, I want to challenge you to a game of hold your breath. So on the count of three, we're all gonna take a big deep breath in and we're gonna hold it as long as we possibly can. If you outlast everyone else, congrats, you win. Now, you're probably thinking, why in the world would I play hold your breath with you, Chris? Okay, let me put it this way. It's one thing to beat our five-year-old younger sister, but imagine beating the full-grown adult by you. Like, they live in the fittest state in the country. Like, if you win this game of hold your breath, you might just want to include it on your resume. Just saying. So, if you're with me, on the count of three, we're going to take a big deep breath in. We're going to hold it as long as we possibly can. And if you outlast everyone, congrats. Ready? One, two, three. You keep holding, I'll keep talking. On March 27th, 2011, Budimir Sobot from Croatia held his breath for 24 minutes and 37.36 seconds, setting a Guinness World Record. Okay, he is a professional freediver. He's got a slight advantage on us mere mortals. But 24 minutes and 37 seconds, that's ridiculous. We all know that that if we don't inhale, we'll eventually die. But what happens if we don't exhale? We still die. The average adult has a respiratory rate of somewhere between 12 and 20 breaths per minute. So that means about every three to four seconds, our lungs fill and then empty with air. Why all the inhaling and exhaling? Because oxygen is essential for life. And as oxygen is for physical life, Jesus is for spiritual life. You see, apart from Jesus, we are spiritually dead. But in Jesus, with Jesus, we are alive, fully alive. Jesus illustrated our need for him this way. He used the metaphor of a vine and branches. He said this in John 15, 5. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is our life source. So if you, if you feel like you're withering up, if you feel like you're dying on the inside, connect with Jesus. He changes everything. And a way we connect with Jesus is through services like this, where we get to praise Jesus in song. We get to learn about Jesus through a message like this. We get to remember Jesus by taking communion together. We also connect with Jesus when we read our Bible and pray, something we like to call chair time. A very simple daily practice to connect with Jesus. You know, when we connect with Jesus, it's like a giant spiritual inhale. When we're connected with Jesus, what's our exhale? Like if Jesus is our inhale, what is our exhale? What comes out of us? What characterizes our life? Because of the experience we've had with Jesus, how do others experience us? When Jesus is our inhale, what is our exhale? To find out, we're going to continue reading in John 15. We started there last week. We looked at the first eight verses. Today, we're going to look at John 15, verses 9 through 17. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me there. We've also got a church app. You can follow along, take notes there as well. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, thanks for who you are, and thank you that we get to gather like this. And as we do, would it be a giant spiritual inhale? Would you just renew us, restore us, refresh us? And would you speak to us now as we open your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Picking up in John 15, starting in verses 9 through 11. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We'll get to the exhale in a moment, but first, let's just relish and enjoy the inhale. We need to be reminded of this. You see, before Jesus instructed his followers to go and do anything, he wanted them to abide in him, to remain in his love. He's like, look, you're loved not because of how much you know. You're loved not because of what you do. You are loved because of who you are and whose you are. God is the one who puts breath in our lungs. We're his children, and as his children, there is nothing we can do or not do that's going to change God's love for us. And that is really, really good news. God is love, and Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love, his unconditional, sacrificial love for you and for me. Now, in light of Jesus' love, Jesus invited his followers then, and he's inviting us today to remain in his love, to abide in his love. So how do we do that? How do we remain in Jesus' love? In verse 10, Jesus very simply explains it this way. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Following the example of Jesus, we, rem we remain in his love when we follow him, when we obey him. While our obedience doesn't earn love, because we have a relationship with Jesus and he loves us and we know that, because we have this relationship with him, we want to follow him. We want to obey his teaching. And Jesus says that if we connect with him, 
if we abide in him, if we remain in his love, then his joy will be in us and our joy will be made complete. That word connotes a, a fullness, a, a matureness, a flourishing. Like we will lack nothing. Our joy will be complete. Our, our connection with Jesus expresses itself as obedience to Jesus. Not because we have to, because we want to. So what does Jesus want us to do? How do we obey him? What does it look like to follow him? What's he asking of us? As we continue now in verses 12 through 17, we'll see very clearly what that is. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Twice, the beginning of the passage and at the end, he tells his followers, love each other. Why? Why, Why should we love each other? Because love experienced leads to love expressed. Uh, we see it at the very beginning, verse 12. Jesus was explaining, he said, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Like, we love because Jesus first loved us. The, the love we experience, being with Jesus, just overflows from us. It, we can't help it. It just comes out. And others around us experience his love overflowing from us. But how do we love? How do we love? Uh, because, because Jesus first loved us, we know that we're supposed to love but we're also supposed to love like Jesus first loved us. And we see in verse 13, the greatest expression of love. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's, it's been said that love begins when someone else's needs are more important than my own. Now, if that's true, then Jesus went to the extreme to express his love for us. You see, John, who was there with Jesus around the table when Jesus was sharing this teaching with his disciples, that same John, later in life, reflects back on this teaching of Jesus, which he also recorded. I mean, it's John 15. In 1 John, in, and in 1 John, John says this about Jesus' love. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. How do we know what love is? J-E-S-U-S. It's because of Jesus' love for us in us remaining in that love, that we would know how to love others in any kind of sustainable, impactful way. The, the love of God in us is evident when we prioritize the needs of someone else above our own. Love says you before me. And for the last six years, I've witnessed this kind of love through my wife, Amanda. We've got three incredible little girls at home. We've got Hannah, she's six, Chloe is three and a half, and Abigail is 22 months. 
Now, before I was a parent, I had no clue why parents talked about their kid's age before the age of two in months. And then I figured it out. I've shared it before, I'll say it again, it's because every month's a victory. We kept them alive and we survived. It's a victory. So we've got these three incredible little girls and their needs are all par for the course. And there's a lot of needs. Just an example, five o'clock on a, any given Thursday, this is what Amanda's world looks like. There are clothes to be changed, bottoms to be wiped, alleys to be bandaged, all while holding one kid and making dinner for the family. That's just a typical Thursday at five. And what I've seen over the last six years is Amanda sacrificially lay down her life for our girls. She'll eat last so that others can eat first. She'll get up in the middle of the night to care for them. She'll put down her needs and pick up the needs of those around her. Now, yes, she's a mom. Yes, it's her job and her job description might as well be love sacrificially, something that Amanda has embraced wholeheartedly. Now, observing Amanda live this way reminds me of Jesus and reminds me how Jesus placed our needs above anything else. He laid his life down for us. You see, it's actually when we're with Jesus, when, we are, when we're remaining in him, then love will overflow. And this leads us to why one of our, our values here as a church, one of our values as a church is to love everyone. We didn't just come up with that because it sounded cool. We see it in scripture. We see that Jesus loves everyone and he calls us as his followers to love every one. The one in front of us, the one in need, the one far from God. We are called to love because Jesus loves us. We're supposed to follow in his footsteps. So here's, here's what that's looked like for me recently. At least I'm, I'm trying to live this out. Don't always get it right perfectly, but I'm trying. I wake up on December 24th, it's Christmas Eve. I look out the window and I see snow. I'm surprised it wasn't supposed to snow on Christmas Eve, but it did because we're in Colorado. And I get up, we have breakfast, and then I say, hey, Hannah, you wanna come outside? I'm gonna shovel the driveway. So she loves to do that, so she comes out, we shovel the driveway together. As we're wrapping up shoveling our driveway, look down the street, a couple houses down is where Di lives. Di is a widow. She lost her husband a couple years ago. And she's an older lady, so I just said, hey, Hannah, would you want to help me shovel Di's driveway? She's like, yes. So we walk down and we surprise Di and we shovel her driveway with snow. And as we're shoveling her driveway, I remember thinking to myself, you know what? We've got a couple Christmas Eve services later today and I'm gonna be preaching at those and I'm excited for that. But this right here, shoveling her driveway, this might be the most impactful thing that I do today. So I walk back to our house and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I just loved uh, somebody in need, was discipling my daughter in the process. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Fast forward 48 hours. I wake up December 26th. It snowed. I was surprised. I wasn't expecting snow. It wasn't in the forecast, but we live in Colorado, and there it was on the ground. So have some breakfast, and then I say, hey, Hannah, you want to go outside and shovel the driveway with me? And she's like, yes. So we go outside, and we shovel the driveway together. As we're wrapping up, Hannah looks at me and says, Dad, can we surprise Di and can we shovel her driveway again? Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. 
I'm tired from the last couple of days. What time is it anyways? I kind of want to get to the gym. But what I said was, sure, sweetie, we can go shovel Dai's driveway. So now we're shoveling Dai's driveway a second time. And as we're shoveling this time, I'm thinking to myself, it wasn't just two days prior that I was discipling my daughter to love someone in need, and now she's encouraging me to do the same. Later that day, we get back from the gym, and Di is walking on the sidewalk, and she says, are you the ghosts who keep shoveling my driveway? Secret was out. Come to find out, Di had paid it forward, and she shoveled another neighbor's driveway. And that left me thinking that love isn't just to be experienced, it's also to be expressed. So, the next time we're trying to figure out what would it look like to love like Jesus? What would it look like in this situation? What would it look like with our lives? Whatever it is, what would it look like? Here's a simple yet clarifying question that we can ask ourselves. In light of Jesus' love for me, what does love require of me? In light of Jesus' love for me, what does love require of me? We're not talking about cheap love here. No, no, this is costly love. This is lay your life down for the needs of others kind of love. Love that's much more costly than shoveling someone's driveway. But that could be an expression of love. So, if we, if we try to live like this, if we try to love and lay down our lives for the sake of others, and we try to do that by our own strength, by our own willpower, we're going to run dry. You see, when we try to love by our own strength, we'll find ourselves loving one minute and angry the next. We'll be compassionate, and then, oh, too soon, we are critical. When our love for others runs dry, and we even find ourselves a bit crispy, it's time. It is time to slow down to be with Jesus, to abide in him, a big inhale. And it's when we connect with him and we're reminded of his love for us, his love that's unconditional, his love that's sacrificial. Then and only then are we poised to love others the way Jesus has called us to love. Uh, some of us, some of us, we've been pouring out and pouring out and pouring out at home, at work, at church, and we're wondering, why do I feel exhausted? Why do I feel like I'm like withering up? I want to encourage you, if that's you, lean into Jesus. Connect with him. Abide in him. Let him be your strength. Let his love overflow from you. Instead of trying harder, let's actually just be with him more. I say that from experience because I've been there. I know what that feels like. And while the motive is good to love well, sometimes when we do it from, the, from, from our own strength, we're just going to end up hurting ourselves, which will eventually hurt others. In John 15 alone, Jesus reminds us of some incredible things. He says, you're the branch. Like, he's the vine. He's the source of life. You're the branch. You are loved. His love is unconditional. It is sacrificial. He says, you are called friend. He laid his life down for you. And he says, you are chosen. Like, he has appointed you. He has, he has chosen you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. You see, in Jesus, we don't just bud, we bear fruit. He says it this way in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. 
Look, this isn't some like Christianized American dream. This is so much better than that. Because before we chose to follow Jesus, Jesus chose us. He wants a relationship with us. And he knows that if we abide in him and we, we connect with him and we're reminded of his love, then our lives are going to look drastically different. Others are going to experience us differently. They will experience his love through us too. You know, it's interesting. We admire people like Mother Teresa for the noble lives that they live. When in fact, Mother Teresa played the playbook that we've all been given. I imagine if she were to reflect on that question, what does love require of me? She was, she was pretty clear. She knew her marching orders, so off to Calcutta she went. What does love require of you? What does love require of me? You know, it, it might require us to move across the world, but for most of us, it, love requires us to walk across the room and comfort the crying. Love requires us to walk across the hall and listen to a coworker. Love requires us to walk across the street and do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. The evidence of, of time spent with Jesus is loving like Jesus. Now, earlier in this same conversation with his disciples around the table, Jesus expressed his expectation for them this way. He said this in John 13, 34 and 35. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How is the world going to recognize followers of Jesus? Is it by their blessed life? Is it by the, their just incredible knowledge of the things of God? According to Jesus, it is by their love, our love for one another. So, so surely, like we're known by our love, right? I mean, this is what Jesus said. When others think of us Christians, I mean, the first word that comes to mind is loving, isn't it? If only judgmental, hypocritical, homophobic, intolerant. These are the words that we often hear about us followers of Jesus. Where do we get off? Where do we get off? What would it look like for us to lean into the way of Jesus and be known by our love? So that when our friends in our family and our co-workers, and our neighbors, they look at us, they can't help but think they're loving. I'm not quite so sure about what they believe, but they sure believe it because they live it. Well, I mean, just think about it for a second. Like, what do your neighbors, what do your co-workers, what do your family members think of you as a follower of Jesus? When I think about that myself, my co-workers are pretty supportive. But I do have to wonder about Jeff and Shane next door. Like, what do they think of me? Is love the first word that comes to mind? And as I, as I reflect on this passage, and I reflect on these, this teaching of Jesus, while it's very encouraging, it's also convicting for me personally. Like, I want to be known by my love. I pray to be known by my love. I ask God regularly, God, would you make me known by my love by those who know me best? 
But when I look into the not-so-distant past, I, I don't think the people closest to me, love is the first word they'd use to describe me. Maybe to be hurried, maybe to be stressed, but I want to be known by my love. And as I'm convicted, you know what I'm, my, my, my desire is? I just want to like try harder. I want to be more loving. But that's not the point. As we see here, that's just not the way of Jesus. The way we are loving comes from abiding. It comes from connecting with Jesus. Remembering and remaining in his love and letting that just spill out in our lives. So, this week, let's abide in Jesus. Let's enjoy the time and the rest of this service as we remember him by taking communion, as we sing a song of praise. Like, let's, let's enjoy this moment and let's spend time with him reading our Bible and praying on a regular basis this week. And as we experience all of it, let's reflect on this question in light of Jesus' love for me. What does love require of me? Because when Jesus is our inhale, love is our exhale. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for inviting us to live this kind of a life. While we fall short, you never do. You went to the utmost extent to express your love to us. And as you have expressed it to us and we experience that love, would it just spill out of us? Would we express your love to those around us this week? Those at home, those at work, those we interact with at the store, would it be abundantly clear what love requires of us? And thank you that we don't, we don't have to do this like in an obligatory way. We get to do this. This is the life you're inviting us into. This is what it looks like to be in relationship with you. We thank you for this, Jesus. And we ask that one day we will be known by our love, both by those who know us best and those who've only experienced us from afar. Would we individually, would we as your church be known by our love, just like you asked, just like you expected, Jesus. We ask this in your name.